Have you ever done a podcast, Elia? No, obviously no. I've never done one like this either. It's a peculiar format. Yes, totally. No, no. No, but I'm curious to try this format. Yes, it's fun. It's innovative. Welcome to Cross Pass, the brand new UTMB World Series podcast. Each month, two trail runners, one elite and one amateur, will meet and discuss what trail running means to them. In their conversation, they'll also reveal what drives them in life and how they express it on the hills. They will share their common passions, interests, beliefs, and get to know each other along the way. And so will we. In this fourth episode, we are welcomed into the home of French trailer doctor Thibaut Garivier. Winner of the CCC in 2021, he is joined by Elia Kalinian, a runner for whom trailing has been transformative at different stages in her life. They spoke about how to perform in different aspects of your life, the importance of an unshamed nutrition for trail running, and the magic of a concerto. We hope you'll enjoy this privileged moment where they cross paths. Salut Thibault. Hi Thibault. Welcome home. Thank you for welcoming us. You have a nice spot in MC. It's my pleasure. If that's okay, I will quickly introduce you so that everyone knows who you are. So Thibault, you are 32 years old and you live in NC, where you welcome us today. You are a top athlete in trail running, a member of the Team Hoka and the French Long Trail Running Team. You distinguished yourself in particular with performances such as the victory over the CCC in 2021 and more recently over the Muet in Madeira. And I think it's your playground that you particularly like. You are also known for your strong mind and your unflinching determination. You have a humble approach and a deep love for nature. You embody the spirit of a committed athlete and you are a source of inspiration for many outdoor sports enthusiasts. You take your career to the highest level in trail running in parallel with your job as a radiologist, which you practice at the Ergony Clinic in Ansi. That's it. Are there things that you would like to add at this point? No, it already seems quite complete to me for a fairly complimentary introduction. I'm only, I hope, in the first third of my life, so maybe we will add more to it later, but for now, it's already good. I'm going to introduce you. So, Ilya, you are 28 years old, you come from Chamonix. You studied in Sweden and then in Switzerland, where you obtained a master's degree in hotel management. Two years ago, you gave up everything to travel for a year in a van with your boyfriend. On the agenda, Ireland, Scotland and Norway. Great landscapes and especially lots of hikes, but no killer whales to your great despair. Back in Chamonix, you recently injured your knee. So right now it's more mountain biking and road biking than running. But recovery will not be long in coming, I hope for you. Have you injured yourself during your career? Yes, I also have. So for me, it didn't last three weeks. Uh, I was going to say earlier, it was the knee. Finally, three weeks is fine. It's been three weeks. We'll see how long it lasts. It's true that I had come to that too. But finally, from three weeks, it had grown to three months. And then it went on for a year. So Oh, yes. Yes, I had a fatigue heel fracture. Okay. And is it an injury that was caused by overtraining or something? Yes, I had. Yes, yes, clearly overtraining. Well, there were lots of parameters. I decided to... I never ran at a young age, and that was always my weak point, after all. It's about really running when you're running really hard. So, in fact, that winter, I set out to really develop the qualities of running on the flat ground and everything. Because I liked the ascent and descent, but on the flat, it didn't go well. 
so all winter I did prep physics, plyometrics, etc. In that sense, I put on lightweight shoes, so in fact, all in all, it was too full. So I reached a very good level on flat runs. I had some sessions that were top-notch on cross-country. I went cross-country skiing in winter, it was great. And then finally, when I arrived at my fittest, when it was time to start to switch to the trail at the beginning of March, I was in top shape. And when I transisted that to the difference in attitude, I broke everything. It cracked. Yes, that's it. So I did that. And then after that, I made a series of bad decisions. I was, I was doing home trainer in the flat. I forced it too much, so I maintained, maintained, maintained. I was riding my bike outside, but in fact, I was told, you can ride a bike. But I did 250 kilometers with 7,000 meters in altitude, so it was nonsense. You were pushing it a bit. And so, as soon as I started to get out again on August the 15th, I broke it again. Uh, in the same place? Same bones anyway. So then it's been, so, no plaster, but I've been on crutches all fall. No sport for three months, no sport at all, no bike, no nothing. And you see, time flew by, and from August the 15th, it took me to the beginning of December. So I just started cross-country skiing again, and started running again around January the 1st. And recovery? On the other hand, recovery, I was subject to all the tendonitis you can have from the ankle to the hips. Okay. Passing through the knee inevitably. Uh, even gradually. 10 months oh. of full stop on foot. So there, of course, it was interspersed with restart and then re-injuries, pause again, restarts. And so I really started training without ever getting injured again in March, at the end of March. Okay. March the 15th, approximately. Wow. And now no more pain? And now no more pain. I had phantom pains for six months after I had nothing left in the MRI, or at least nothing pathological. Okay. For 12 months every day, because I'm a bit obsessive. And my brain, you see, it's crazy, but when you're hurt for a year, I don't want you to. But it was the touch of the sheet in bed. It hurt me. It also did it in the heel. Just the touch of the shoe every day hurt me. I went to work, it hurt when I was working, at least in my brain. Yes, and it's hard. I was going crazy. And so my brain felt that for six months, six months later. So much so that I even did an MRI again. I was in pain. I did the selection race at the beginning of July, and so that's the year I won the CCC. So I did an MRI three weeks before the CCC, because I felt like I had fatigue fracture again. And in fact, not at all. I had nothing at all. That was the first tipping point in my head, because that was mental pathology. So I saw that, in fact, it was my brain that was delirious. And then, when I ran the CCC, it was a 10-hour effort, and I had a lot of pain and everything. Then I had won the race. And incidentally, I had broken four ribs during the race. During the race? Yeah. I was hurt elsewhere, and that was the end point of this injury. So finally, you see, March... You've diverted the focus elsewhere. <laughs> yes, that's it. I don't know about you and your experience of if you manage to have maybe redirected a little bit of your interest to other areas of life, because I think that's the key. But personally, I couldn't do it too well. It is difficult. After that, at your level, it's much more difficult than at mine, I think. <laughs> yeah, after that, it depends. It is the level of passion. Yes, that's right. That's true, too. It's an investment every day. That's true. But at the level of passion. Yeah. For me, I think that, you see, to draw this parallel, there are plenty of people who have a, who train less than me and who have 
more of a passion for trail running. I have a passion for sport and performance. And you see, there are some, like you, I think, where you tell me when you're not doing trail running, you feel like yes. you're wasting time. It is true. It's not like that for me at all. It's a pressure level. It made me think, but finally, before, I didn't train. In fact, I didn't consider it training. I went to the mountains, I went with my friends, and I started training when I joined the Chamonix Trail Club, where things took shape. And then last year, I decided to train a little more seriously for my goal that was going to be the coming Sunday, next weekend, which was the Trail of the Eight Shelters. And so it was my longest, my, my longest for the moment. I have run at most a marathon, the Mont Blanc Marathon, and after I did a little more, but no more than 50 kilometers in general. So now I have been training quite seriously since October. Uh, still, it's a good investment in time. I train an average of 12 to 14 hours a week. So with the job on the side, uh, there it is. That was my personal commitment this year, and I was super fulfilled that way. But in the end, I still accumulated quite a bit of fatigue, and this short stay in the Jura ended in injury. But I take it well. <laughs> I take it well. I started training, saying to myself, in any case, what I am passionate about is training. And if the race is canceled the day before, yes, it won't make me happy, but I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. So when that happened, I was still not happy. <laughs> After that, it depends on the level of investment, because for me, it happened to me at Mont Blanc's 90K. Really, it was my training race before the UTMB. I really needed these milestones. I was ready and everything. And it's true that the more you invest in it every day, on a daily basis and more, well, at least I live it like that. I don't have the perspective that my friend Nico Martin has, who really has some perspective on life, but he's a bit older too. I take things a little bit more seriously. And even though I still have, I don't know, are you working full-time? Yes, 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 I'm working full-time. What are you doing? Uh, I'm a development manager in a hotel group, so I'm in charge of building new hotels for the group. In Chamonix? In Chamonix, yes, and in the valley. <laughs> okay, so it's more uh, an office job. It's completely an office job, and I'm quite good on construction sites too, but uh, but yes, it's not a job where I'm very active. Yes, physically, but then... Yes, physically, but on the other hand, it requires... It's just half of something. That's it. <laughs> Once you have responsibilities and you can sit in a chair and sweat all day long, it's yes. just as physical. Yes, it, it takes energy differently, but yes, completely. As for me, I failed to... Even though my job, medicine, is for me, it's not a passion. Mm -hmm. So they say it's a job based on passion and everything. It's a job that I really like and I couldn't see myself doing much else. I had no other plans when I went to medicine. I didn't tell myself, well, maybe I would have done physiotherapy if I hadn't had the exam. But really, I couldn't see myself doing much else. And finally, I couldn't do much else when I've injured myself for a long time. So yes, I worked harder. In fact, I said to myself, it was easy. I took night shifts as well. I was working 80 hours a week. And then I said to myself, we're going to move. And this way, at least I'm saving some money. That way, we may be able to buy a house. Yeah. But I was really missing something. Yes, I was depressed and I realized it later. But 
maybe it was a cursed word, but it weighed on me every day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I really had strong emotional down points. Once or twice a year during the year of injury, when I still had tears in my eyes thinking about mm. it. Well, you see the others running everything, but, but above all, it was, it was about mental health, really. Yeah. I don't think I'm hyperactive or, you know, I don't always want to do something, want to add more. I'm fine. Especially now, as we age, as they say. I like to be at home and sometimes do nothing. I don't mind at all. Can you do it? Yeah, yeah, completely. But on the other hand, that was too much. I also made the choice to achieve a lot in sport. It was the choice of medicine or sport. It is nevertheless a choice that must be made. The choice of excellence. That's this one. I mean, in all, all jobs really, you can aim yes. for excellence and you can do the job. And for me, there are plenty of times when, in my medical studies, I put a few barriers and stops for myself. I said to myself, well, now I am choosing to say, well, now I am not going to go down that road. You see, for example, now, as a radiologist, you can do a few surgical activities. Okay. It's a choice I didn't make because I said to myself, it's going to put a lot of weight on my personal life too. Time and... My life. Personally, I imagined more. My real passion is trail running or... I don't know, but in any case, trail running, biking, sports. sports actually. Are you still working today? Yes, I've been working, but part-time since last year. All right. I work about 30, 35 hours per week with a few administrative hours because now I'm a partner at the clinic. Yes, yeah, so half time. Half a doctor's Wait, time. Yes, that's it. <laughs> but that's it. And I really worked between 70 and 100 hours when I was in Lyon. When I won the CCC, I did that night shift. And did you find the energy to work out? Yeah, yeah. I found the energy on my days off, actually. Really, I was on call for 24 hours and I was going for a five-hour run the next day. And finally, when did you have the urge to say to yourself, now I feel that I have potential in trail running, I have to persevere? That's when I won the Transvolcania. Okay. Transvolcania in 2019, actually. I did not expect it at all. I finished third the year before. I went back with my time target. I wanted to do around 15 minutes less. I knew I could do it. And then I was running 30 minutes less and winning the race. There was Peter Endal and Dmitry Dmitriev. It was a race that was very popular with Alberto Fernando and Kilian Jornet. So there were some dream times and it was already a great international performance. There are several things I said to myself at this point. I said to myself, it's worth the investment. Secondly, I thought, this result is enough for me. I had a kind of relief to actually think that, for example, if someone said to me, your career ends there for an X or Y reason, well, I was happy. Yes, you did the job. I won a race. That, for me, was an international level of performance. And that was the only thing that I know that by being, by starting late, by not having the skills of an athlete, by being a doctor on the side, I also made the choice of there are constraints. Now, with the professionalization of sport, to tell the truth, I think it will be difficult for me to win the UTMB, for example. I need to stay real. Now, the top five in the UTMB are just professionals. They only do that. They are going on boot camps here and there. It is, it doesn't make me sad or anything, but it's true that for me, who love performance and commitment, after that, you should also tell yourself that maybe I wouldn't have been able to do it because I've always found my balance in doing both. Mm -hmm. And to do only sports is hard. Exactly. I was going to ask you if you were thinking of putting your professional career on the side. I'm going to say to devote yourself to your sport. I had the choice. When I won the CCC, 
because Hoka gave me this opportunity, and for several reasons. Already the first reason is, when I saw how I reacted to the long injury, I said to myself, I'm going to hang myself if I only do that with my life, and I get hurt again. And secondly, medicine is not so much of a profession where, at least as a young doctor, I feel comfortable stopping like that. It requires a lot of knowledge and updates to do that. I have to work all the time, even at home. You see, sometimes people ask me, do you read books about training? No, it is true that the few books that I read, I read medical books because I still need to train. What if, for example, someone said to me, you stopped working for three years. After that, it's really hard. It's really, really hard. And well, after that, it's still medicine. It's not like if I stopped running. It only involves me. There is also medical responsibility. It's still about health, even though I am only a radiologist. We will have... Anyway, this is something you would like, I don't know, to be a pro? For example, if tomorrow you, I don't know, you, you win the CCC. Um, um, oh, I never asked myself this question because I never had the opportunity to think about it. But no, uh, I think that... I manage things much better when I do several things at the same time. So here, for example, I work full-time. Um, I work, but I'm also training as a neuropath on the side because it also brings me personal balance. But no, uh, to have a professional career, I think that um, I would also have pressure management where it would bring me things at this level. But no, I would need to have a balance with something else on the side, I think. After that, yes, it's... I think on that point we get along well. It's always the just-in-case, I've always been quite precautious. And as you said, if you get hurt, so already as an amateur, when you get injured it's still hard to live with. When you spend a good part of your week running and sharing that and uh, it's a real engaging passion. It gives passion. you free time, huh? It's, uh, that's too much free time. <laughs> yes. No, you're right. We're using it for other things. We see family more, more friends, I mean, differently. And me, in my case, I am super happy that it helps me discover other sports. It's almost a gift. But in the case of complete immobilization like you, I think it's much more difficult to live with. Yes, really. Yeah. And do you remember your first race? It was Ventoux, Trail du Ventoux, you know? No, I never did it, but I see. It is nice to do. We are after the start of the season. It's hard. Yes, I know. That's the first one. Yeah. But yeah, first real trail, that was it. Okay. That or, I never quite remember in what order, but I did the Gap on Seam run also at the time. The long trail, I did one or the other? Uh, at home. Yes, because it was a journey that seemed a giant to me when I saw it when I was a child. But yes, they are good memories. But again, at that time, I was still hooked on triathlon and it was... Did you make a lot of them? No, I wasn't doing much, but my objective really was to do the Embronman. Do you know? Yes. Yes, of course, especially in Gap. <laughs> so I really wanted to do that. And by the way, it was the Embronman, the UTMB, and doing a Raid World Cup. You, would you say that you, your race that you told me about, the Mont Blanc Marathon, it's your race, a little bit of reference on which you... No. <laughs> no, not especially? No, not especially. The Mont Blanc Marathon is a good memory, but uh, I actually, I felt particularly bad during this race and afterwards. I knew that I had a health problem, so I did not necessarily experience this race very well at first. But it motivated me in any case to get back in shape and to train for other races. <laughs> and as I was telling you, until then, I didn't consider that I was really training. Yes. 
I didn't have a very structured training plan. Then that year, I was well motivated. Now it is for this Sunday, but <laughs> but in the summer, there will be plenty of other races. I'm doing the UTAT race in Morocco in challenge format in the fall, Les Dentelles, and uh, this winter, I would like to take up alpine skiing with the aim of doing the Pierramenta in two years. I think it's the same for me. It's a bit like the thing I said to myself this winter. I said to myself, well, now it's not worth it. I really don't have the downhill level and technically, but it's... I said that to myself a little bit. I was told that's it, if you race a bit. Yes, it takes two or three years of racing. Uh, a first season, and then don't hurry, and be selected. Because for you, it will be easy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But when you're anonymous, it's more complicated. So yes, those are the medium-term and long-term goals. And you? What's on this year? I modeled 2023 on 2022. It was always really the UTMB and Worlds. So last year... It was in that order. It was also the order of the calendar. And this year, it's funny, it was also the calendar order. I told myself I would really like to do a good world following the disappointment at the UTMB last year. It was my first. I only did one. That will be my second one. It is still a format that requires experience. It's some, there is that. I think only Killian, or almost, who finished a 100 miles race and who succeeded on his first try. It's true that successful guys are already at their fourth, fifth, sixth. So I think you also have to have the honesty to admit that. For me, that's not really a distance I'm heading towards. I like to remain efficient over slightly shorter distances. I love the Mara Trail. I love the 60 to 70k format, where I think that, at least for me, for my level of training, it's really the last format where I can get the most out of my physiological level. But after that, I always keep the UTMB. What I like is the challenge. So you see, me, really sport, I always see. So that's an advantage and a disadvantage. It's a bit boring, but I really see it through the prism of performance. Do you see the raid, for example? Now, it's just fun, the bike and everything. Because also, maybe I don't have the skills. You put me on a bike race. I can't go down like the guys. So you're out of the league right away. There is no question. But you know, really, the trail, what I like is the involvement, the progression, the confrontation, mm -hmm. and really the competition. That's what always drives me and what I respect in this sport. It's really performance. The guys who do 300 kilometers and everything, one ultra per week, that's not something that excites me at all. You will always find more. Really, human beings are made to move and made to walk from January the 1st to December the 31st without stopping. Everyone. The guys showed it. There is still a guy there who is going to cross the United States in one direction on foot and the return by bike. You can always do more. But for me, it's not a performance marker. Yes, it depends on the pace. On the other hand, run a tour of Mont Blanc in 20 hours. To see that is quite a humbling experience. There is no, not all human beings are able to do that. It's like running a marathon in two hours or not all human beings are capable of doing that. And that's what I respect in sport. That's performance, you see. But now, what I also like in life is to, you know, it's about succeeding in lots of ways. Me, I have always been, it's funny, but in sports, I was good nowhere, but bad nowhere. So I went horseback riding, kayaking, swimming. I've done cross-country skiing, mountain biking, all in a club, swimming, running, and as always, a little bit of everything. 
But trail running is a bit like the first sport I've ever been involved in where I was told, yeah, now there may still be a bit of a desire, etc. But there are even better things on the market. And on the other hand, it's true that when, I don't know, all the other sports I told you about before, including cross-country skiing, I could see that I was not good at it. So I was training, trying to improve. There's a lot of technical stuff and everything. But that's what really motivates me mentally. It's the progression. And on your 2022 UTMB, you said that you were disappointed. Are you disappointed with the ranking or are you disappointed with the race management, where I think you left a little bit faster than you thought? Yes, I am disappointed in... I'm disappointed in, in everything, actually. It's hard to say it like that, but I can't think of anything that I did well. You see, and it's the only race where that happened to me. At the Worlds, I was good in all aspects of trail performance, but I had no legs. Okay. So I was, well, pretty well prepared. I was in shape two weeks before, in shape two weeks later, but on race day, I was not. I wasn't. It is like that. I don't think it was a good day. On the other hand, I managed for the checkpoints, I managed the pacing, I managed... I didn't have to worry about anything at all. At UTMB, it was the opposite. I didn't do anything right, you see, nothing. And what really is my strength, I think I've measured it now, by taking more time to do tests, studies with sensors, I really feel the effort. I think that really is my number one strength. Because when I've done all the tests, it's the same. I am good nowhere. I don't have feet. I'm not good at VO2 max, and I'm not good at VMA. In fact, in the end, I've been doing this year, for the last two years, I've been doing 50 million tests. I'm not good anywhere. But on the other hand, I think I'm quite homogenous everywhere. And above all, I really have pacing. I can manage the races. And I didn't do that well at the UTMB. I made checkpoints mistakes. I was, yeah, yeah, so it was a succession of bad decisions. I was a bit overwhelmed by the magnitude of the event. I also mentally approached the race calmly. I was quite serene. I had done mental training. I was going to ask you if you do prep regularly or was it really for this purpose? Yes, starting last year, I had implemented regular mental training sessions, especially for UTMB, because in a fairly basic way, like all athletes, I saw that as a weakness, the fact of getting closer to a mental prep. I said to myself, now, when you start doing mental prep, it's the end of your career. And because in the past we observed a lot of athletes performing at Olympic level, and then when that stopped working, they were going to turn to mental prep. I think mental prep is indisputable. It is a real factor in performance. But what happens is that, since it is recent, we realize that high-level athletes... You see, I was listening to a podcast with... It was Florent Manadou, I think, or Fabien Gillot, I don't know anymore. We're all doing mental prep. The guy who succeeds at the Olympic level, it will improve him. But he did 90% of the job compared to a normal person. He really has this superiority there. The organization, this mental scheme. So I tried to go find these little pieces, saying to myself, well, yeah, I have the reputation of being tenacious, of being mentally strong enough and all. I realized that I was doing things well. And then there were other things that I was not doing well, especially for the UTMB. Doing mental prep has really relaxed me. I really had very, very little stress. Before the race? Yeah, actually, looking back on it, it was pretty negative because, you know, I think it's good to have a little apprehension. 
Yes, there's good stress. You have the good stress, that's it. And I think I actually had pretty good stress. I'm someone who is quite stressed about goals because I want to succeed like everyone else. But it is true that I am a person who is rather stressed in achieving goals. I saw it in medicine, in competitions and everything. I felt pretty good about that. But it's a stress that makes you rather move forward, that doesn't paralyze yes. you. I have the impression that what people say is good stress. Mm. In any case, I passed my medical exam, let's say, and it's still about 20 times what I felt at the start of the UTMB in terms of pressure. It doesn't paralyze you. I had 40 years of my life on the line, so I was not so cocky about it when I entered the convention center to take the exam. So finally, I went backwards a bit and said to myself, I saw this poor performance on the UTMB. I'm going to try to find more basic things, because that's how it works too. Don't worry too much about saying, OK, I validated things, measured things that support me in my approach and everything. Now stop overthinking it. You know your pacing is good, that the way you eat when you want is good, hydration is good. It worked so far, just do that. Um, there you go. Go back to the essence of the thing a little bit. Do things right, and then it goes to the end. After, it's true that the only question mark for UTMB 2023 is that I still went far in the effort, in the mental and physical pain, whatever you want to call it. At the UTMB, I was really knocked out in Courmayeur, even a little bit earlier. Really, the reason would have wanted me to stop in Courmayeur, and that's really eight hours, about eight hours of racing, 12 hours or even 14 hours. It's a long 14 hours. There in the head, it's a long time. So I don't remember everything anymore, because necessarily the brain, you're in self-hypnosis after a while, but, but those were by far my worst physical memories. So you see, I just have this little doubt about saying to myself, what will happen if I feel a little bit the same way? And clearly my brain is telling me that. I finished the race because it was my first. But if I arrive in Courmayeur in the same condition, never again. You put me in the same condition nine times, all nine times I throw in the towel. It was the only time I finished out of ten. What made you finish? It was the first. It was the first. You said you were going to the end. I said to myself, if I don't go through with it, I'll start from scratch. It was my first 100 miles. So maybe it was a bit, a bit daring to do it on the UTMB, but it was the first race where I spent the whole night outside. You needed a 100-mile reference. Yeah, yeah. And then I also needed to say, good, well, if I finish walking, well, finally, my body is able to do it and that's it. And now I know what it's like for me to run 22 hours or so on the UTMB. I wouldn't do it again. You see, for sure, I wouldn't do it again. If I do that, well, maybe it's because I'm at Valorcine and I have to go home. And yes, at Valorcine, I can't give up, but unless I get seriously injured. But on the other hand, no, I won't do it again for 22 hours. That's what I was telling you. I know I can do it around Mont Blanc while walking, but at my level, I don't train for that. It's stupid, you see. Yes, of course. Yeah. Everyone has their goals, and I don't like that. It is true that I am often blamed for it. They tell me, yeah, but the pleasure of sport is everything. But for me, the pleasure of sport is actually that. It's performance. Yes, that's it. And that may seem... So you quickly lock yourself in and you are quickly disappointed. But after that, it's life too. You can't be happy all the time. And in medicine, it's the same. Every day you have failures. Every day you do things well. But in fact, it's not good enough. And you always have to improve. And that's life. I've always said to myself, in life, there are three big compartments. 
There is professional life, there is sports life, according to my prism, and there is social life. I mean, family mm -hmm. life, if you want. I don't know anyone who succeeds according to my criteria, anyone who is an Olympic champion, who is happy in their family life, and who is, I don't know, who has kind of an important job. You see? It takes incredible investment. Yes. Yes, necessarily, just in terms of time. And who succeeds? It's complicated. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's possible. In fact, I think it's about the same level of performance as running two hours zero in a marathon. You would like to set the cursors to max on all three compartments. <laughs> max and everywhere have a balanced life. If I end my life now, I may have some for the rest of my life. I invested 80% in medicine, maybe 10 in 15 in the trail, and 5 to 10 in personal life. You also see people who have social or professional lives that go beyond what you can do in sport. And I think that's cool. I don't know if you, on a mental level, are you doing prep or is that something that speaks to you? I don't do prep, but it's something that speaks to me, and so I, I try. Like you, ideally, I would like to have all the cursors at the same time on all compartments, and I would tend to try to do that, but... Uh, I tried several times. <laughs> I tend to do things to uh, push really hard when I choose to do something, to go all in or even too hard. So not in performance, because I may not have the required qualities, but at least in volume. It brought me to uh, in extremes in every sense, with anorexia, overtraining, burnout. So on one hand, it's great because I've learned lessons about each chapter, but now I have a little more vision. Moderate. Moderate, exactly. A bit more moderate. That's what I'm often told. <laughs> but, but it's tempting. Frankly, it's dreamy. Yes. After that, you have to find your safeguards. But yes, it is the work of the mind. And when you love, it's also passion and draws to you to the extreme. When you love your job, when you love sport, you say, no, I can't stop there. I can do better. And for me, it's always I can do better. Or maybe I was confusing I can do more and I can do better. And today I'm trying to say to myself, try to do better, but not necessarily more. But it's a switch that's not easy to learn. And I'm still in. Uh, it's the story of life, I think. I yeah. think it's just about getting to. I, I do exactly that. To be able to do better, but not more in order mm. to stay balanced. And also discover other areas. You were going back to school, weren't you? Did you say so? Yeah. In fact, during my trip to Norway, I decided... Uh, naturopathy has always attracted me because, as I said before, I had a period of anorexia during my adolescence, and I was lucky enough to be followed by my doctor, of course, who worked with a psychologist. And this psychologist was working with a naturopath. And the complementarity of the three, I found it really extraordinary. Each one brought something different. Medicine was about safeguard, control, and not necessarily fun things like weighing, medication, antidepressants, etc. This seemed more about understanding the mechanisms of why, how, and the naturopath meant a lot of listening and giving little advice on a daily basis to live better, to be more serene with yourself. 
And I always kept that in mind. I studied at the same time without thinking about it. And during my year of travel, I said to myself, hey, this is something that interests me more on a personal basis. Yeah. In addition, naturopathy means nothing. It's, <laughs> it's not a degree. I don't know too much about it. Well, I know, but it's not too much of an area that... It's a bit... Um, it's a bit opaque. In any case, my vision is to bring people to their best level of vitality okay. through the management of sleep, stress, physical activity, and diet. For that, there are plenty of tools, but my vision is not all that alternative to conventional medicine, but rather complementary or preventative. I chose a very Cartesian school in any case, very Cartesian approach. And today I am passionate about it because I love nutrition. So already that was what I was doing in my nutrition degree, and it would have taken a hell of a lot of time. I wasn't necessarily sure if I wanted to work as a dietitian afterwards, so I chose that which was more global and which brings me a lot personally and and all the techniques for managing stress and sleep. And so you make links with your practice. Do you necessarily use it? Yes, 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 yes. I had explored breathing a bit. I thought that was interesting. Personally, it's fascinating. It's a balance that I would very much like to maintain. I think that at the same time, sport will awaken these consciences. And then I find a holistic approach to life where you you sweep away all the facets from well-being to performance where finally you have a lot of drift. You tell me about wellness sport and finally maybe sport the way I do it, but even more so at high levels. Well, I don't know, an Olympic swimmer, for example. I think of them. It's so much more, it's so much self-sacrifice and self-discipline that it's clearly becoming a disease. When you see, I remember all my psychiatry chapters in medicine, we fill almost all the boxes for mental illness among top athletes. So you should know that. And you exactly talking about things that are a bit more personal. What role does your partner Charlotte have in your training cycles? And even on your races? On the races, of course, it's a pretty down-to-earth role, supporting stuff, as basic as assistance and everything. It is necessary. But it's true that it's nothing compared to everyday life where I think it's actually the same for everyone. It's the same for for you. It's the same for someone who is committed to their job. It's just your life companion, and it is, that's what I said earlier, it's the basics. It's as important as that. So for me, it's just 33% of life. Well, after, yes, there are some who will say, no, for me, it's more like 70%. She may take it the wrong way, but in fact, it's huge. <laughs> what that means to me, Be careful what you say. we train a lot like everyone else. That means making progress on a daily basis. She is a little bit more steeped in stress. Me, I get a bit tense sometimes with big goals and everything. That means that I will never again know the stress levels that I had when I went to take my sixth year medical exam, where I was really doing, I was transparent. For me in sport, there is no stress. It's not stress because there's no pressure. There is no performance pressure. I don't have to succeed. I want to succeed. First of all, I don't need sport to live. Mm -hmm. It's something I want, but it's not necessary either. It does make it lighter though. When I was going to pass the exams, I said to myself, you have 40 to 45 years of your life on the line. In the end, it gave you a stress frame, a reference, and today everything else is put into perspective. Yes, that's it. We're always under 10% at all times. On the other hand, it creates emotions through failure, through success, through injury, which are very strong. But only in retrospect can you moderate. You're missing an exam 
exam, you're missing an exam. For 40 years, you missed the exam. I'm going to say that won't stop you from being happy in life, but if that's really what you wanted, that's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to do radiology. I wanted to go to Lyon. It was really the top of the rankings. Nothing else was possible. You're not allowed to repeat. You're not allowed to retake it a second time. So it was not possible. I didn't want to do anything else. It really is the cliff. You go or you don't go, but it's binary. That's clear. There was no, there was no compartments there. Coming back to Charlotte, it's true that she really helps me in daily life and everything. And then afterwards, maybe she's feeling a little bit more tense about the results and all because... But sometimes stressing for someone is worse than stressing for yourself. But that's it, that's it. Because we're not in control. That's it. I don't know, for example, you are, in terms of your boyfriend. My partner, he motivates me a lot. He is much more focused on performance than I am. At this point, I think we also balance ourselves a bit. He gave me his performance side by also giving me confidence in my abilities, and I gave him the more contemplative side. Today, we really have become complementary in this area, and it really makes me gain self-confidence to allow myself to think about performance. For me at my level, and to allow myself to start races and say to myself, well, it is possible and you have to give your best. And I'm not here just to talk. And after that, you have models like that in life where you say to yourself, I don't know, I would like... You see, that's what I was telling you earlier. I have a bit of a tripod, you know. For me, it's a bit... That's my reference. I don't have too many role models, icons or guys that make me dream. The guy who makes me dream does not exist. I told you that. He is the guy who succeeds 100%. If I find him, I'll tell you. It's the... The UTMB index 100 in all three areas, and therefore we are already unable to do it in training. At the same time, the uh, three domains? All three domains must be at 100% simultaneously? Yeah, it's the perfect human it's being. It's getting complicated. <laughs> no, but I'm not much of a groupie either. There are a lot of people I admire, but I'm not necessarily a groupie. Yes, you're going to find a little bit in each. Yeah, there are many, many people who inspire me, but I don't worship anyone. Afterwards, I said to myself, the people who inspired me, who really made me want to do sports. And I remembered that as if it were yesterday. I was at my medical desk, it was my first year, and every day I saw my friends who were training in sports. It was the first year after high school and I was like an idiot at my desk in Marseille in front of my wall learning my stuff by heart. Mm. And there for dozens and dozens of hours I was saying to myself, but... It caused frustration. And they gave me the most. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That was really them. It was really through them that I said to myself, given what they do, I want to do it. I will do it, really. And I swore to myself, and I swore to myself. And in fact, you know, when I stopped medicine, and really, when people say that I have a great mental strength, I don't think I have a... Yes, I have a mental strength, but when you're already doing trail running, we all have a bit of willpower, you know? Mm. It wasn't too much mental toughness. It's more about envy. With mental preps and everything, they asked me, what are your intrinsic motivations? I don't even ask myself the question. I don't ask myself the question whether or not I want to be the neighborhood race, the UTMB race, or do you see? Yeah. I want it. I want it. And I want to be at the finish line. I want to win. I Giving up is not possible. I never gave up. Well, I gave up once when I almost died, I think, at the Grand Raid de la Réunion. I was so sick. I was 20 minutes up front. I was downhill. I just, I couldn't even get off at the next refreshment station. What was it? Nutrition? Or? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was dehydration from outer space. Okay. So I lay on the tarmac for one hour and... K.O. 
Yeah, for me, motivation is not something that... It's not linked to any particular point. No, not it's at all. It's yourself, it resonates in you, period. Yes, that's yeah. it. In sport, motivation is the essence of sport. Yeah. And that's, as I said, Charlotte and I were talking about it the day before yesterday. We were saying, when I want to stop, I stop when I want to stop. It's not... There's no pressure or anything to tell me, I do this for fun, and it's too hard. Yes, it's hard. Some days, I don't want to go. But it's also normal. Some days I really don't want to go there. I trained under the rain by bike all month of May by myself. Well, that pissed me off. In the morning, it bothers me. Then in the afternoon, well, of course, I'm happy. In addition, I work and I am simply not chained. We are not in the gulag. If I want to stop, I stop. Basically, it gives you something that resonates in you. Yes, that's it. Yes, that's it. And above all, it's self-discipline. It also gives the respect I have for myself. I think to respect yourself is to fulfill the contract you signed with yourself. Yeah, I think you're totally right. It's self-discipline and self-respect to do it just for yourself, actually. Yes, like you said, I don't have an idol either, but it makes sense what you say to be inspired by people around us and to create a certain uh, frustration that makes you want after, that creates the desire to... People tell me all the time it's unhealthy. Well, no, finally, if it resonates in you... I built myself in frustration, so you see? can also give beautiful things. So anyway, I need to re-injure myself. <laughs> Every time I say that to myself, I tell myself I need to get hurt. It's because I hurt myself one year, I come back, then I win the CCC. I would have to find something else. That's a lot. But now I can't hurt myself anymore. Yes, that's where you really see the mind. I think it's there. So I turned the problem the other way around. I said to myself, am I not mentally weak? You seem to need that to go for... Because when I won the CCC, well, maybe I was just in shape. I was everything you want to be, but it's happening. There is no problem. It's crazy, and that's the power of the mind. That's where I felt, you know, really the intrinsic mind. Really not not the surface of, I want to succeed, I want to do sports, I have fun performing. Where really... But does your motivation remain constant, that strong? Or does the fact that you are less frustrated also make you a little less motivated? After that, I think that's how I draw the parallel with plants. You know, a plant, it needs to have a bit of stress to make good fruit. Yeah. I see myself a bit like that. It's that. Where I have performed better so far is when everything was tense. You see, I was working a lot. It was challenging. Now, you see, I'm a bit comfortable. I go home, there is the pool, I work part-time, I can train during the day, and when it's not as hard, I become the tomato plant that grows with its feet in the water under the greenhouse. Yeah, actually, well, that's my coach who says it. When you gentrify like that, you can't make a breakthrough. It's complicated. After that, it's the evolution of life, too. Do I want to get back to the weeks that, no, I don't think I would even be capable of it and everything. Now, when I work until midnight and the next day I have to wake up at 7am to train, I feel tired, you see. Before, I used to train 15 hours and did 100 hours a week in the hospital. It's not about doing that anymore. I agree with you on that. Yeah, busy periods at work or when I have a lot of things happening in my personal life all the time at the same time. In the end, it's where you find the most efficiency, the most motivation, and where you feel completely alive. And, and there are times that are a bit quieter, so it's more quiet. Do you have other hobbies outside of 
Yeah, now you're studying a bit. Yes, I'm studying, and uh, then uh, I love cooking. Yes? Yes, and I just generally love spending time outside. Okay. Or even just hosting people at home. <laughs> from the moment it's outside, it can be just a bivouac five minutes from the house. I'm the happiest in the world. Yeah, yeah, simple things are good. I think that's what we're looking for more and more with the acceleration of society. Yeah. So you, when you, when you don't run, do you have other, other activities? Uh, I really like cooking, and otherwise I read quite a bit. Okay. We have had a bookstore in the family from generation to generation for 90 years in Chamonix. Okay. By necessity, I still read a little bit, a little bit of everything. This year, it's more academic with studies. <laughs> so it's more about books with uh, the digestive system and sleep at the moment. It's less... Uh, <laughs> okay. It's informative, but super interesting, but a little less literary. So here goes. And you? My hobbies are... Before I had no hobbies, time passed by itself. It was more like sleeping was my hobby as far as I could. But now I've learned, I'm learning to do nothing, learning. You actually see, but nothing, sometimes nothing. I really do nothing. So yes, I do, I scroll a bit on networks and everything. It's the risk, yes, when you do nothing. Now I watch a little bit of series, so you see all of this. It's really something I've never done, watch series and watch movies. I stopped at Titanic in terms of filmography, but I am not an outlandish cultural sensibility. And besides, it may be the fourth compartment that I don't consider enough. We found another one. <laughs> Considering four compartments would allow me to have more stability. And music? Are you a little musical? Do you make any? And no music. I did some. I did 10 years of it. In contrary to everything that is usually done, I played guitar. And what I liked was music theory. I was at the Gap Conservatory. And I finished my studies in Solfège and I asked to stop playing guitar. So the director of the conservatory, he had never seen us. That's rare. So I stopped playing the instrument and finished studying Solfège. It's original. Yeah, yeah, that was original. These were also the first times when I felt a bit of pressure in life. It was the conservatory exams anyway. Yes. It's really from my childhood memories. Yes, going to take the end of the year exam at the conservatory. You are alone with your guitar. There is a jury of three. So yeah, it's... But I enjoy music. But at first glance, classical music is not at all something that excites me more than that. You see, I'm not as calm as that, but... And really, it gave me. It's always the same when you don't know or like a field. And then the fact of having this education where, you know, you would tell me between a Beyoncé concert and then, yes, the excitement of the thing at the Stade de France. Yeah, I would definitely like that. But between going to see something like that and... You see, I've seen things, for example, so it's going to seem ultra-boring now, but like concertos in the auditorium in Lyon, where, really, these are the only moments when something creative has transported me a little bit. Truly the only one I weigh my words carefully. Neither reading, nor photography, nor anything ever makes me like that. Really, these are the only moments when you see the respect for the calm and the virtuosity of the guy, especially on the violin and piano. It's the only moment when I really say to myself that it's... Is it a different type of performance too? Yeah, yeah, completely. I am mesmerized. The moment stops. The moment stops a bit. It is the one and only cultural sensitivity that I have. 
Again, I think that maybe as I get older, I take a little more interest in things. I don't despair of progressing a bit in this field and reading l'équipe a little less. Et de lire un peu moins l'équipe. Now that we know each other well, I'm going to make you a little, a small game with three small facts about me. So there are two false ones and one true, and you're going to have to find the right answer. The first proposal is, I practiced solfège for many years. In 2019 and in 2020, I chaired the jury for the solfège competition for the master musician performer of music and dance at the Lyon Conservatory of Music and Dance. The second proposal is that just before Saint-Lyon in 2018, while assembling a shower screen in my bathroom, I had a glass wall fall on my foot that cut my foot, and I knew that if I had my foot sewn up, I would not be able to run the race. So I decided to start with an open wound in my shoe and finished third in the race. And the third proposal is that I have practiced horseback riding at a good level for 10 years. I was part of a group of supervisors of a traveling internship in Auvergne, and then I attached my horse's loin badly one evening at the bivouac. The next morning, the horse was gone. Fortunately, he was found one kilometer away from there. I would say... Do you vote A, B or C? I vote C. Do you vote C, horseback riding? Yes. Is that the real one? Yes. Yes, I vote C. And no, that is not true. Second chance? Is it the story of Solfège or Saint-Lyon? With Solfège, you would have deliberately omitted to say that you had been a jury or otherwise earlier when we were talking about injuries and you didn't talk about that. Go Solfège, the A. And no. No! You have no exception to the rule. I really suck. Okay, so you started with the race with the open wound? So actually, I was... Yeah, with the open wound in the shoe. How awful! <laughs> yeah, yeah. And especially when you see the conditions. Shoes full of mud, a wound full of mud. There was an open tender. How awful! I didn't want to imagine that. I do not recommend oh. it. And besides, I've always... Strangely, it healed badly. So you see, we will have the scar next to the tendon. I didn't want it to be that one. Luckily, I had no complications. <laughs> well, that's it. Now we're going to switch seats. It's me asking you questions. Go on. The first, I am an absolute fan of cherry clafou tea. And last year when I left for a long outing, I had nothing left to eat. So I took a piece of it with me in my bag. And after 15 kilometers, I bit into it and almost choked on a stone. The second proposal, during my gap year, I spent a lot of time in Norway with my boyfriend in Bergen on the West Coast. We sat down in a cafe and Killian Journey and Peter Endall sat next to us, who had just finished the Bergen Seven Mountains, a journey that consists of crossing the seven hills that surrounded Bergen in one day. When was it? Last year. Okay, I tried to think about the time frame, but in fact... That's thoughtful! <laughs> And the third is that I am the daughter of a guide born in Chamonix and I have never been to Mont Blanc before. Yeah. Now I'm hesitating between number two and number three. I'm going to say number three because I think Kilian did Bergen this year, but I'm not sure. <laughs> well done. Is that it? Yes. <laughs> yes. What an achievement. Well done. <laughs> Good deduction. But I think it's the temporality because I wonder if Kilian didn't do it this winter, like January, February. Good deduction. It seems to me, huh? I gave myself away on the time. <laughs> Uh, congratulations, Thibault. I think you are the first in history of the podcast to have found it at first try. Well done. Thanks. 
Uh, now, if you don't mind, UTMB has asked its community what questions they would like to ask you, and I'm going to be the spokesperson for some of these questions. The first question is a question from Joe. What is your training routine during the week leading up to a race? It is current. Yes. It's simple and sober. The volume is quite low. Over a week of pre-race training, I expect to do between seven hours, approximately seven to eight hours of training. There will always be a bit of cycling, and then after, a little routine. I go for a run about three times a week. I always rest 48 hours before. You don't do anything else? And I still jog. Everyone has their own recipe. And in terms of nutrition, is nutrition very structured, or is that rather intuitive? No, it's quite intuitive. And so I had there, I got advice on specific things, for that reason, I am really lucky to have Charlotte, who likes to cook and who makes me eat fruits and vegetables. But because it's true that it was a lot of pastas, hams, and then no fruit, on the nutrition side, it's true that I'm a little bit more careful about everything, about alcohol, etc. Yes, quite intuitive. And, uh... But no, nutrition is more like, for me, for me it's really something I, I really enjoy eating. Agreed. I eat a lot. In my opinion, yeah. it is rather a factor of performance in sustainability. But you don't weigh everything? You don't measure no, grams of carbohydrates? No, no, not at all. Yes, on the race? So yes, a bit on the race. I measure things a little bit, but, but no, no, not at all, not at all. I really eat a lot more than a lot of... That's why I am more a tall stature, a heavy runner, I would say. But I eat well. High quality and intuitive. I'm going to move on to Mary's question, which is how do you divide a race? So the main principle of racing is that you have to get to the middle of the race without it being hard. So I tried to respect that. After that, of course, I go from checkpoint to checkpoint, and the longer the race is, the more I go from checkpoint to checkpoint. Then in short races, there is much less management. There is not all this organization of pacing and everything. So on races of up to 30 kilometers, it's really almost maximum on just about all sections. On the marathon, there is already a little bit of pacing. And now I'm doing it a lot on feeling. So a checkpoint in the middle of the race to see if you are well. That's it. And from checkpoint to checkpoint, I know I'm getting through the stage. After that, of course, there are some points that are a bit essential. It's true that for Courmayeur at UTMB, it's really a key point mentally. The beginning of the night too, at Notre-Dame-de-la-Gorge. Then after that, I haven't really experienced too much the mental snags at the end of the race. On the second part of the race for me, it was just in Chamonix. And then in a fairly linear way, go there like that on the UTMB. Hopefully we'll see this year. And a final question from Camille, is it an advantage to be tall at trail running? Well, that's a long debate that I regularly have with Nico Martin. <laughs> oh yeah? Who thinks yes, and I always prove to him with A plus B equals no. So now I'm starting to have about one million arguments. But no, in endurance sports, being tall, but especially heavy, will never be an advantage. For 50 million reasons. So it's better to be small and light. You consume less, you eat less, and that's it. But what you really need to understand is something that I personally understood very early on and that seems obvious to me, which is we boys still have fewer problems than girls. It's that you have to eat in astronomical quantities at all times during the race, before the race, after the race, and that's the number one factor in performance. Because having talked a lot with, for example, top triathletes, some guys still tell you that trail running is really an extreme sport. Extreme, quoi. Energy consuming. 
extreme everywhere. You are destroying yourself. And that it is complicated to recover from efforts. It's eating, sleeping. Yes, is this your post-race routine? And drink. Yes, that's it. I eat, I drink, I sleep. No cryo-massage? Yes, so, of course. Now I'm going to look for different things. So that's again, that's the main pillar. That's the fundamental tripod. It's 90% of recovery. But of course, I do massages, I do cryo. I do anything you want. I take supplements for recovery. Now, it is well known that it is 10%. You already have to eat good quantities. And for me, in trail running, there are two sports. There is the 0 to 120 kilometer trail, and there is the 100 mile trail. And I find more similarities between 20k and 100k than between 100k and 170k. Okay. It's nothing alike. They are two different sports in preparation, mental and physical approach, nutrition, training. Nothing is the same. Maybe on the ultra, being a tall runner is maybe less true. Do you see? Maybe yes. Being big and heavy is less of a problem. Yes, because it's not easy psychologically either. As you said, it's better to be lighter on the trail, but at the same time, you have to eat a lot. So psychologically, find balance. But you have to eat what the body needs. Yeah. That is to say, that you need to eat according to your hunger. When I am hungry, I eat. I don't care, we will say that sometimes. I cook a meal, I am hungry two hours later. I eat and eat chocolate, and I don't really care. If I have cycled 200 kilometers, I arrive, I eat. I make a snack and I make a meal in the evening, and I have a pot of Hagen Daz, and I have... I actually don't care. Anyway, if I cycled for seven hours, if you burnt 5,000 calories, you have to eat them. That is also the misfortune of high-level sports in running. As much in running, cycling, there are sports like that, a little less so in other sports. It's endurance sports. We are talking about this more and more, about red S syndromes. Yes, yes, yes. Among women and among men too. Yes, but for me, what I think, is it a bit sad to talk about red S syndrome? So yes, okay, I am okay. I can't bear to hear about red S syndrome anymore. Prevention is needed. You have to tell people to eat. I see behaviours sometimes when, you know, binge on salad is not eating. That's not food, that's slugs eating salad. You really have to really eat when you're on the trail. Binge on white cabbage salad, it's... I agree with that. In any case, in the long run, it won't work out. The problem is that it impacts people directly in the long term. So finally, I don't know if you had yourself about your experiences you were talking. Well, yes, yes, I have been at the extreme of this nutrition level of wanting to be... Uh, it was more psychological than physical or performance related, but in any case, I saw that it didn't work not to eat, that's for sure, until the end of the very end of being able to go up. But it's not, for example, sport that brought you out. Yes, 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 yes. That opened your eyes yeah. a bit because yeah. I think that's Sports beautiful. Really it's what me. I like and what yeah. I drive the most. In the end, during the anorexic phases, what I've experienced is that you have a kind of desire to make yourself disappear physically. Mm. You are no longer aware of who you are physically, what you are like. And sport was the only thing that made me physically feel. Where you recognize yourself. Yeah, alive. That's clearly what got me out of trouble and actually brought me back up. I told myself, not only for me, but also for my relatives and others, but... Uh, that makes you tell yourself, if you like it, you're going to have to eat. <laughs> so let's go. Today I have a much healthier relationship with food. And that has also given me a real passion for nutrition to know more, to know why you have to eat well, how and to take guilt away. But now having gone to that extreme, it took me years. 
I think that I have been serene for this for two years, even though I have spent 10 years fighting to regain serenity and learn to eat again. Yeah. And for me, that's the thing. I think that sport is good for learning about life and experiencing life earlier and doing these trials, but without being in real life. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think that every time you can make small mistakes in sport and it's not a big deal. And then when you do it in life, sometimes it costs a bit more. It's true. And I just think it's a shame that it's still a lesson that I think is major in sport and that people who do sports can't seem to realize that. And also give examples to others. But after that, we really are in the worst sports too. No, but it's true. You ran on the road, so... You're watching swimming. There is no anorexic, right? No, no. So, if you want, thank you so much for welcoming us. It was a great time. It's the end of our exchange. <laughs> See you in Sham this summer on the UTMB? I will follow you well, carefully. Yes, I hope so. That would mean that I am already yeah. at the start. That will already be halfway through. <laughs> I'll see you this summer. That's it for today. We hope you enjoyed this moment and found some inspiration to get out on the trail pass. If you did, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with a friend, a colleague, or someone you just crossed paths with. If you don't want to miss the next episode, subscribe to the podcast and follow at UTMB World Series on social media. We will be back next month for a new extraordinary meetup. Stay tuned. Cool. Who wants a quick drink? <laughs>